earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends, and thank you for joining me again today. Now that we are a month into this new year, 2020, and even entering a new decade, as I've heard others call it. Well, wherever you are at this moment in time, I'd like to talk to you about a word and a concept that can sometimes be blown out of proportion. And I certainly wish to give it the fair treatment that the scriptures admonish us to give it. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the clothing line Under Armour, and my intent here is not to advertise a product, but to home in on the word armor. Some time ago, before I even had any knowledge of this clothing line, I used to walk early in the morning at a nearby mall in the hotter summer months. There was a new store going in at this mall, and all there was when I passed by it was an empty space with lots of boxes stacked in it. The glass doors were uncovered, and there was a sign on the door that said, Coming Soon, Under Armour. Believe it or not, friends, what caught my eye as a graphic artist was the UA logo. I really liked it. Well, the remainder of my walk was occupied with me asking myself this question. Am I under armor? Now, I'm pretty sure that for most of us, especially us Christ followers, when the subject of armor comes up, we tend to zero in on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, right? And that is certainly a great portion of Scripture to remember and know well. Let's highlight some of the key statements in that portion. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground. Stand firm then. And then Paul proceeds to list the parts of a first century Roman soldier's armor we should consciously be putting on, like the belt of truth buckled around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, feet fitted with the readiness from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, 
and prayer in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Friends, when we think of armor, I'm curious what that image brings to your minds. I know for me, the first thing I usually think of is armored tanks or armored warships. Perhaps with the aid of movies, you may think of a coat of mail, body armor, bulletproof vests, maybe even a suit of armor, or an armadillo with its protective shell. Now, I'm almost positive that with Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, taking center stage in our minds, it is likely we might not even consider pointing to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. But these are the two verses I'd like to home in on today. They say, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Just two short verses Five short phrases, but they do pack a wallop. Today, my friends, today, my brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that I had a moment of awakening, a moment of spiritual illumination as I investigated the background and the language of these two verses. You see, I discovered that in these two verses, there are actually four admonitions that are crafted in military language. And these four admonitions are styled after military commands, as if addressed to soldiers. Now, I want us to observe that even though these two verses contain five phrases, only four are styled after military commands. The fifth phrase begins with let in verse 14. So here we see that the fifth phrase is intentionally appealing to our wills or the volitional side of our decision-making process. And since this fifth and final phrase is an appeal to let love be the motivation for all that we do in life, I'm going to say to the brothers listening out there today, we are permitted to retain our man card. In other words, we don't have to surrender our man card because the love that is being described here is agape love. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this term for love in our New Testament. Agape is not sentimental love. Agape is not mushy love. Agape isn't even romantic love, and it's not even friendship love. Well, if it's not any of these, you might be saying, then what kind of love is it? I'm going to tell you right up front that it's a foreign love, one we have to learn and get used to using. It's one that we don't automatically get when we're born. It's one that we don't even automatically possess when we're in love. That's Eros love. It's one we don't even normally live out in our families. That's Storge love. It's not even the one that we get in its fullness for free. When we become Christians, ouch. 
Agape love, friends, is referred to as one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Calling these character qualities fruit assumes they will start out as a seed and then grow to maturity or to the fullness of what that particular fruit, flower, plant, or tree should become. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul commends this fledgling body for their labor of love in his introductory compliments in verse chapter 1, verse 3. Then later in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, referring to this agape love again, he exhorts the Thessalonian believers to excel still more. This should give us all hope. I know it does me. Then again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul's introductory commendations speak about the Thessalonians' agape love towards one another in this way. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting because the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. So, brothers and sisters, as soldiers in the Lord's battalion, under our commanding officer, Jesus Christ, under our master, if you will, over the troops, we see in these two verses in 1 Corinthians both the grit and the tenderness we are to display in our lives. The grit of battling for the kingdom of God and against all opposing forces, and at the same time, displaying Jesus' tender love towards sinners, and on top of that, tenderly loving our brothers and sisters in the Christian community, the local and universal body of Christ. Now, the grit of battling for the kingdom of God and against all opposing forces begins with the first phrase in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on your guard. The New Testament Greek here simply says, watch. But this single word has a wonderfully expressive range of meanings, all which can be applied here in this initial admonition. Just listen to some various translations that express this range. Be watchful. Interestingly enough, one study Bible notates here, be watchful for threats and dangers to the community. Keep or be on the alert. Listen or stay alert. Be awake to all the dangers. Be on your guard or be always on your guard. Be careful. Be vigilant. Friends, these varied expressions in a few instances hint at another important fact about these military commands. They are each in the present continuous tense. That's why a few of these phrases have always or keep on. The idea here is something that is continuous. So, in effect, each of these five phrases represents actions that we soldiers are to keep on doing as a general habit or a lifestyle. In other words, they represent a commitment to a long-term way of doing something. Now, let's just take a minute and remind ourselves 
What church is being spoken of here? What congregation? What community? Those Corinthians! Was the Corinthian church the model church that Paul holds up as the primo example to follow? The premier example to live like and imitate? Heck no! To be sure, let's just check out a couple of admonitions directed at these these Corinthians. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Or how about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5? Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. Are you beginning to get the picture here, friends? Let's try one more. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 13. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on this one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new, unleavened batch. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or idolatrous or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Now, there's a portion of Scripture you don't see on plaques 
or find crocheted on doilies? I'll bet you've never seen this portion of Scripture framed and hanging in a friend's house, have you? And I'm willing to bet that our local evangelical churches haven't practiced excommunicating a defiantly immoral member, as this portion of Scripture enjoins us to do. Well, friends, the letter of 1 Corinthians closes out with a series of admonitions styled after military commands. And these admonitions are directed at the whole fellowship of believers, including an appeal to honor the strong leaders among them. And let me just say right here that I find it interesting that the two verses in chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, remind me of a battle cry of the Philistines in 1 Samuel during a battle with Israel. This occurs in 1 Samuel 4, 6 through 9. And this event occurs when the Philistines captured the ark. After the Israelites got it back, there was such a great shout that the ground shook. Hearing this uproar, the Philistines inquired what all this shouting was about. They were afraid that a god had come into the Israelite camp. They began shouting to each other, Be strong, Philistines! Be men! Be men and fight! So, friends, while the Corinthian community was waiting on Paul's next visit, they were exhorted to be on guard, be watchful, be on the alert, be vigilant. Paul's motivation for these exhortations was so that the Corinthians would be continually on the alert for spiritual enemies that might creep in by stealth and thereby threaten to destroy their congregation with any number of sins or temptations, pride, disorder, divisions, false teachings, etc., This is why, immediately after, be on your guard, Paul says, stand firm or fast in the faith. The is here a correct translation. It is reminiscent of Jude's exhortation in the opening of his letter. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down by, to the saints by Jesus and the apostles. So, friends, watching, being on the alert, being vigilant, standing guard has a directive attached to it, doesn't it? The directive is stand firm or stand fast in the faith. Because I tell you, friends, the faith is being eroded in our generation. These admonitions are frequent in the New Testament. Let's take 1 Timothy 6, 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly chatter and the opposing arguments of what has been falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Listen again to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me, In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So, friends, 
some absolutely key questions we all have to ask ourselves become these. Who are the watchers among us in our church bodies? Where are the ones continually on guard for the spiritual safety of the flock where we worship and fellowship? Where are the circumspect among us? Where are the ones who watch over the souls and spirits of the flock that none go astray from the unity and belief in the true gospel? Where are the ones among us standing firm in the faith? Where are the ones in our midst urging us to be courageous like soldiers ready for battle at all times? Where are the ones working among us, urging us not to be like children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? Where are the ones putting forth the vigor, the energy that God has supplied them in maintaining and propagating truth? Where are the ones among us keeping the battalion united and a force to be reckoned with when facing opposition, when being attacked. Where are the ones among us, friends, helping us to summon up all our strength and courage to fear not, to sustain us in the battles Where are the ones in our midst who are mentoring us all to make sure that all we do is motivated by agape love? Finally, friends, Jesus used the term watch and be on the alert when it came to anticipating some future event often referring to the times and dangers at the end, at the end times, so to speak. So, following Jesus' lead, where are those among us who are watching out for, being alert to, being on guard for the spiritual health and safety of the local Christian community? our individual local churches, if you will. Friends, brothers and sisters, I pose these provocative questions to us all so that we will courageously take up and follow through on these admonitions and think soberly about just how we are participating in our churches thinking soberly about how we are or are not keeping watch, how we are being alert or not being alert, and how we are guarding or not guarding the communities we each belong to. Are we believing and behaving like children tossed to and fro? Are we pressing on to maturity and stability in Christ, in our walks with him, and in our congregational life? Well, 
We have a whole new year and a new decade to face these things squarely and ponder them, don't we? Amen? Amen. Well, friends, I can see that we are nearing the end of today's program. I'd like to remind you that I'm a local pastor here in the Valley, and although I'm semi-retired, I'm active in overseeing several disciple-making communities that meet at various coffee shops. But I want you to know that I'm honored to pray for you. Maybe this new year is already not panning out the way you planned or even hoped. Maybe you could use some additional prayer support. Today's program will close with an email address where I can be contacted. So please, friends, listen for it. The email address is also where you may contact me to learn how you can financially help this listener-supported radio program. Thanks for listening today, friends, and please always remember that Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.